The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So this weekend marks the official beginning of the Christmas season, which is great, but it's also kind of weird because Thanksgiving, you know, is just three days ago and Christmas is almost 30 days away. And yet I know that some of you are sitting here today and you are absolutely all ready for Christmas, aren't you? I mean, the house is decorated, the tree is up, you've got the Christmas presents, they're all bought, they're all wrapped, you've got them hidden someplace, you are all ready to go and all set for Christmas. And for some of you, that whole idea is great and you are excited about it. Others of you are absolutely terrified by that thought because you are in no way ready for Christmas to start yet. And I don't know what it is that for you makes it feel like Christmas has started. For me, for me, it's basically two things. The first is always getting our lights up at home on Christmas. And, and this year, actually, I was kind of late getting my lights up. Usually, I'm that guy on the day after Halloween at the end of the street getting his house all griswolded up for, for Christmas. That's usually me. But this year, I didn't get my lights up until like Thanksgiving almost. And so that was really, really late for me. The other thing that always makes it feel like Christmas for me is that at Christmas time, I actually get to use the other half of the stereo in my car. Because normally if you get into my car and you push any one of the presets on the radio, all you will hear is AM. In fact, all you'll hear is the exact same station on AM, WWJ News Radio 950, where we give you traffic and weather together on the 8s. You give us 10 minutes and we'll give you the world. But see, at Christmas, at Christmas, I actually get to, to venture into that, that vast territory of sound that's known as FM. Because I love listening to Christmas music. And one of the songs I always look forward to hearing every single year is this one. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle-belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year It's the happiest season of all With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings When friends come to call It's the happiest season of all There'll be parties for hosting Marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories Of Christmases long, long ago It's the most wonderful time of the year There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near It's the most wonderful time of the Now, for some of you, that song immediately brings back memories of Christmas past. And for others of you, you're finally figuring out that the Mannequin Challenge is actually 50 years old. And that Solomon really was telling us the truth when he said that there is nothing new under 
the sun. But Christmas, it is the most wonderful time of the year, but it's not the most wonderful time of the year because of what is happening around us. Because the truth is, many times at Christmas, what's actually happening around us is far from wonderful. In fact, at Christmas, it's many times that, that life and, and family, they get incredibly complicated incredibly quickly, don't they? And oftentimes it's during this season that we want to be the happiest of all, that we don't feel all that happy. Because so many times at Christmas we're actually reminded that there are problems that that we can't solve, that there are people that we can't control, and that there are expectations that that just seem like they're never going to be met. And so many times at Christmas... The difficulty comes when we kind of pause and we look in that mirror long enough and we come to realize that many times I'm the problem that I cannot seem to solve. And many times, many times I'm the person that I, I can't seem to control. And so many times I'm the one that's actually setting expectations that other people, they just can't seem to meet. And so Christmas, it really is the most wonderful time of the year, but it's not necessarily the most wonderful time of the year because of what is happening. But Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year because of what it is that has happened. Because at Christmas we begin a season of celebration where we look forward to an event that changed the course of everything in our world. We look forward to an event where God sent His Son to become the center of the history of the world. But more important than that, He sent His Son to become the center of your life and the center of my life. He sent His Son into this world so that you and I, we could actually have something solid on which to rest our hope and our faith. So that we can spend each day knowing that we do not need to fear, even though there are all kinds of things in life that make us want to fear. And so there is this sense in which Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year because of what is happening around us or who it is that is physically with us, but it is the most wonderful time of the year because at Christmas we are reminded of who it is that is for us. And in the songs that we sing and the songs that we hear, we are reminded that this truly is absolutely the most wonderful time of the year, not because of kids jingle-belling or parties for hosting or caroling out in the snow, but because at Christmas we celebrate the arrival of the long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free, free from fear and free from sin, the joy of every longing heart. And so this year, as we journey through the season of Advent together and the celebration of of Christmas together, we're going to look at the songs of Christmas, songs of faith, but also songs of celebration, songs that truly remind us why this is the most wonderful time of the year. Now, if you grew up going to church or you grew up in church, then you know that in your Bible, in the New Testament, uh, the New Testament actually begins with four, four different accounts of the life of Jesus. And each one of these different accounts, they're written by a different person, and they're written at a different point in time. And, and Mark actually is the one who writes his account of Jesus' life first. And he writes his account 
about 20 to 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Then Matthew writes his account next. That happens about five years later. Then, Then Luke writes his account five years after that. And then finally, John is the one who is the last to write his account of Jesus' life. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, their accounts are all very similar. John's, in fact, is extremely different. And John, unlike Matthew and unlike Luke, he doesn't begin his gospel with a birth announcement. He doesn't begin his gospel telling us about Jesus in the same way that that Matthew and Luke does. Instead, John gives to us a very different perspective. And, And one of the reasons why when you read John's gospel, one of the reasons why it feels so different to us, one of the reasons why it sounds so different when you read it, is because unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when John wrote these words, John was actually a very, very old man. In fact, we know from what it is that we read in the book of Acts that John had actually told these stories many, many, many different times, hundreds of times, in fact, before he sat down to begin writing his gospel. And John is the one who gives to us a very unique understanding and a very unique perspective of who it is that God is. In fact, John is the person, more than anyone else, who actually equates God, he equates all of who God is with just one single word. John is the one who, after seeing all the events of his life and experiencing everything he experiences in the course of his life, John is the one who says that God that God is simply love, that God is love. John is the one who writes those very simple words. And what's so amazing about that simple statement is that John actually writes that and he tells it to us at the very end of his life. And by the time John puts those words on paper, John has seen things and he has experienced things in the course of his life that, that many of us, that we could never even imagine experiencing. He's experienced loss and hurt that we can't even begin to fathom. By the time John writes these simple words, he's seen his closest friends, Matthew and Peter and Paul. He's seen all of them hunted down and executed by the Roman emperor Nero. He's seen the other people that he loved and he cared about, his family and his friends. He's seen all of them persecuted. Many of them he's actually seen martyred himself. By the time he writes these words, he's seen things happen in his nation and to his people and to his country. Things that we could never even imagine actually living through or experiencing ourselves. And yet even with all of that, John is the one who tells us that God is love. Even after seeing all that he's seeing, after witnessing all he's experienced, John never loses faith. In fact, it's at the very end of his gospel. If you want to take out your Bibles and follow along, it's at the very end of John's gospel in John chapter 20, which is on page 1687 in your Bibles. It's at the very end of John's gospel that he actually writes these words to us in verse 30. And he says this. He says, Jesus did 
many other miraculous signs. Because what John has done in the course of writing his gospel is he's, he's looked at all that he's seen, all that he's experienced in his life as he's followed Jesus, and so he organizes his gospel around seven very specific miracles that, that Jesus actually performed prior to his death and his resurrection. And so John writes, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book that you're reading right now. In other words, he says, I'm giving you just a glimpse. I'm giving you just a slice of what it is that we actually experienced as we followed Jesus. But these, he says, these, these that are written down, these have been written so that you may believe. See, John says to each one of you that the the only reason I've written this down, the only reason I've taken the time to actually put on paper all of these stories that I I have said so many times, all of these events that I've recorded and and relived time after time after time, the only reason that I have put these down for you to read, it's not so that you would simply be impressed. It's not simply because I want you to be curious. It's not even that I, that I want you to simply be amazed. He says, these are written so that you may believe. That you may believe that Jesus is, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life. Not simply physical life. Because every single person reading these words, they already had physical life. But so so that you may have life, a different kind of life, John says, life in Jesus' name. In spite of what it was that John experienced in the course of his own life, the people that he could not control, the situations that he could not control, all of the losses that he personally experienced in his own life. John says, when I look back on everything and all that I've seen, all that's happened to me, all that that I've witnessed, even after all of that, John still believed that Jesus was the source of a kind of life something that went way beyond simply physical life in this world. And so when John begins to write his gospel, he doesn't begin in chapter 1 by giving us a birth narrative, which again I I find to be incredibly interesting because, because if anyone would have heard all of the details surrounding the birth of Jesus, it would have been John. I mean, remember, John was the one that Jesus actually spoke to from the cross as he was being crucified. John is the one that Jesus actually entrusted the care of his own mother, Mary, to. And so if anyone would have heard all of those stories, if anyone would have ever had the chance to ask Mary, you know, Mary, what was it like when you found out that you were pregnant? I mean, Mary, what was it like to actually have an angel have an angel show up and speak to you, Mary, face to face. Mary, what was that like? 
Mary, what was it like to know that your baby, that your baby was actually the Son of God? Mary, what was that like? And undoubtedly, Mary had recalled all of those events for John countless times. And yet John, he chooses not to begin his gospel or the story about Jesus, not with shepherds, not with angels, not with a manger, not with Bethlehem or Egypt, but instead he begins with the significance of the birth of Jesus. Before John tells us anything about what it is that Jesus said or where he did, where he went, before he gives us any of the narratives or the details of of Jesus' life, before recording any of those things for us, and this is so incredibly important for us to to understand, especially as we begin a, a time and a season together where things can get so incredibly complicated so quickly, when we're reminded of not only who it is that is coming over, but also who isn't or who won't. When we're reminded of not only the things that we will get, but also the things that we may never, that we may never get. See, it's into all those feelings and all those experiences of life that John begins his gospel by describing Jesus' arrival on earth in verse 4 of chapter 1 by simply telling us this. In him, in Jesus, was life. Not simply physical life. See, John begins his gospel by putting into words, trying to put into words what it is that he's seen, what it is that he's experienced in the course of his life, all these different things that that he's felt in his time with Jesus. And so he begins by telling us, in him, in Jesus was life, and that life, it was the light of man. Now this is such an incredibly huge statement because what John realized... And see, what John wants every single one of us to realize as well is that Jesus didn't simply come for us. That Jesus didn't simply come for the people who were looking for him. Jesus didn't simply come for the people who were waiting for him. That Jesus actually came for everyone. That Jesus came for those people who were waiting to be saved. But Jesus also came for the people who had no idea at all that they even needed saving. That Jesus actually came to earth for everyone. And what he brought with him was life and light the likes of which no one had ever seen before. And what he brought with him was an element of life that no one had ever experienced before. And Jesus actually brought that for everyone. See, John was actually there on that day when Jesus rose from the dead. And John was actually there on that day when the resurrected Jesus, when he appeared to his followers and when he said to them, 
The reason that you've seen what you've seen, the reason that you've heard what you've heard, in fact, the only reason that you're actually here right now is because I want you, I want all of you, I, I want you to go. I want you to go to every single nation. I want you to go to every single group of people that you can find, the poor and the wealthy, the homeless and the hopeless, and you are to share with them what it is that you've heard me say. You are to make disciples of everyone, Jesus would tell them. Because my life and my light It isn't simply a a Jewish light. It isn't simply for a single group of people. It is for everyone. And then look at what John writes next in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. And maybe as John wrote those famous words, maybe he, he thought, maybe he thought about the darkness that was around him. Maybe he thought about the darkness that he had seen throughout the course of his life. The darkness that comes with the loss of a loved one. The darkness that comes with an unanswered prayer. The darkness that comes when you've got more questions about life than you have answers. And yet, in spite of all that, John says, this light and this life that Jesus has brought into our world, John says, it shines. And every single one of us, we understand exactly what it means for light to shine in the darkness. We understand exactly what it means for light to expose what was in darkness. But this light, this light of Christ, this this life that Jesus brought into our world, this was different, John said, because the darkness, the darkness, it actually tried to put it out. It tried to snuff it out. It tried to overwhelm it. It tried to seize it, to capture it, to imprison it, to surround it, to extinguish it. And as hard as this world, and as hard as this culture has tried to put out this, this light of life, John tells us it's failed because the darkness, it has not understood it. It has not overcome it. Those words written by a man who had seen every one of his closest friends hunted down and executed. In fact, history tells us that when John wrote those words, he was the last apostle who was left alive. The only apostle who didn't end up being martyred. 
And yet as he looked back on the course of his own life and all that he had seen and everything that he experienced in the course of this world, everything that he saw that the world tried to do to eradicate this light that is life, the darkness, he says, it could not put it out. Caesar couldn't do it. Herod couldn't do it. Caiaphas couldn't do it. Pilate couldn't do it. Nero couldn't do it. Not even death itself could do it. And so at Christmas, when each of us when we are confronted with circumstances and and emotions as, as perhaps we are in no other time of the year, when we are confronted by the fact that there are problems that we cannot solve and there are people that we cannot control and there are expectations in life that, that may never, ever be met. It's John. It's John. The man who raced to a tomb only to find it empty. The man who actually sat down on the shore of a beach eye to eye and ate breakfast with the man that he saw executed and killed three days earlier. It is the Apostle John that reminds all of us The Apostle John who is absolutely convinced that no matter what it is that happens in this life, that no matter what it is that we face in this life, no matter how deep the heartache or how extreme the loss or how dark the depression, it is the Apostle John who reminds all of us there is a light that that shines And it shines in the darkness and no amount and no type of darkness will ever be able to put it out. That Jesus is light and he is life and because of that there is always hope. And because of that there is always a reason to believe. And what truly makes this the most wonderful time of the year, it's not necessarily what is happening, but what it is that has happened. Because what happened is that 2,000 years ago, a baby boy was born, and his name was Jesus, but we shouldn't even know this. We shouldn't even know the fact that he was actually born in Bethlehem because he wasn't the son of a king or an emperor or even a governor. He was the son of a carpenter. He should have been born and died without anyone ever even knowing that he existed. But when this baby boy grew up, he began to teach. And he said things that people had never heard of before. And not only did he teach, but he began to perform miracles that people had never even seen before. And the way that we know that he actually performed these miracles is people who were closest to him. People like John and Peter and Matthew 
and even his own brother James, they told every single person that they knew what it is that they saw Jesus doing, what it is that they heard Jesus saying. And not only did they tell other people about these events, they began to write about them as well. And Jesus spent three and a half years of his life teaching and performing a great variety of miracles until finally, until finally he was executed on a Roman cross. And Roman history tells us all of this. And the very same people who wrote and who told us about the details of the miracles that Jesus performed, they also tell us that that after he was executed by Rome, that three days later he actually rose from the dead. But who in the world could possibly believe that, that a man could rise from the dead? The eyewitnesses who told us about the miracles that Jesus performed, don't miss this, these very same eyewitnesses who told us about the miracles that Jesus performed, they gave up their own lives not simply for something that they believed. People give up their lives all the time for something that they believe. These men and women who recorded the details of Jesus' life, who recorded the details of Jesus' miracles, they gave up their lives not simply because of something Jesus taught, not simply because of something that they believed, they gave up their lives for something that they saw. For something that actually happened. Because they saw a man who was once dead, alive again. A man that an entire city witnessed being tortured and killed. They saw that very same man alive again. And the news of that spread all throughout the Middle East and and Europe and all throughout our world. In fact, that message continues to spread throughout our world today. Now that more, more than 2 billion people who are alive in our world today will tell you in a variety of languages, in uh, countless ethnicities and cultures and nations, they all believe that a Jewish carpenter actually rose from the dead. And the reason they believe is because they place their faith in the fact that Jesus' death on the cross, that it is the payment for And the forgiveness from their own sin. That they too were living in darkness. And Jesus brought the light of life into their world. And if you ask them to explain it to you, what you will hear them say is that something actually happened to them. That they needed to have their sin forgiven. Not hidden. Not covered. Not ignored. But forgiven. That when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, something actually happened to me. Something happened inside of me. Not from something that I had done, but because of something that Jesus actually did. And somehow because of that, even though I can't explain it, somehow because of that, I actually have peace. Somehow because of that, I have joy. I'm not fearful 
about everything in life like I used to be. I mean, think about it. A Jewish carpenter that an entire religion tried to destroy, that two Roman emperors tried to destroy, that a king and a governor, they all tried to destroy, and yet somehow we actually know more about him than any other person who lived in the ancient world. Why do we even know his name? Why is it that we even know that he existed? Why is it that so many people were actually willing to give up their lives to say that they saw a dead man alive? again. Are there things that you and I are going to experience in this life that we don't understand? Absolutely there are. Are there things that you and I are going to experience in this life that we are not going to be able to explain? Absolutely there is. But see, the truth The truth is so incredibly obvious that there is a God, that He sent His Son into this world to die for your sin and to die for my sin. And more than two billion people who are alive in our world today will tell you that when they stopped fighting against that truth, as difficult as it may be to explain, when they received that truth, as difficult as it may be to understand that something happened, that they were changed. Because in Jesus, John tells us, in Jesus is life, and there is light, the likes of which darkness cannot overcome. Not then, not now, and not ever. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, for all of us this morning, Father, when we hear those words and we think about those words, they kind of land in a different place for all of us today. Father, for some of us, we we feel like the, the light of life and hope in our own lives, we feel like it's maybe almost extinguished. And yet for others of us, Father, that are here today, it's a reminder of what it is that that we have believed. Every single Christmas, every single year, as far back as as we can ever remember. Father, we thank you specifically for the, the promise, for you giving to us these words and this truth. Father, for giving to us your words that we may actually know who Jesus is that we may believe that He is your Son, that He is the Christ. Father, it's my prayer for all of us as a church as we begin this season of Christmas and as we navigate complexity and, and perhaps emotions that come with the Christmas season as in no other time of the year. 
Father, that amidst all the busyness and the decorating and the shopping and the parties, that we would not lose sight of the fact that there is truly a living Savior who is the light of the world. And most importantly, He is the light of each one of our worlds. And He is the one who gives to us the gift of forgiveness and life in His name. All this we pray together in the most wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. It was in 1719 that a young man sat down to write a new Christmas song. And he wanted to try to put into words that incredible thing that happened when God actually sent his son into this world to be the light and the, the life that every single one of us needed. But, at, but much like the Apostle John's gospel, his song, it didn't speak of shepherds or wise men. It never mentioned Mary or Joseph. It didn't talk about the star or Bethlehem. It didn't even mention the baby Jesus himself. And so, consequently, people didn't think of it as a Christmas song. And it lie forgotten for over a hundred years until another young man came along and he took those very same words and he gave to it a new title. Because the old title, although very accurate, was the Messiah's coming and kingdom, and so it was far from catchy. But the new title and the new lyrics matched, or the, new, the new melody matched, the unspeakable joy that this, the words of this song describe, that celebrate and mark this most wonderful event that's taken place in our history and in the world. Let's stand up. We're going to sing together that incredible song, Joy to the World. 